On this episode of Generation Balm, we have an incredibly candid and warm chat with the CEO of stand-up events, Angie Green. Angie has worked tirelessly in the campaign for marriage equality, and at the point of recording, the bill was still being presented in the lower house. Now, we can happily say that the bill is to become legislation, and Australia has said yes to marriage equality. With that, here is Angie Green talking equality, mental health, football and life on Generation Balm. Welcome to another episode of Generation Balm, a show uh, started to get two cynical men out of the house. Uh, I'm joined by my father, Neil. Neil, how are you on this lovely afternoon? By one of those cynical men, I suppose I am, Neil. Well, there's only I'm two of us in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit cynical. Um, Neil, I thought I'd start off the show with a question. Uh, there's a there's a right-wing, uh, I don't know, former editor of Breitbart uh, News, which is the Steve Bannon, anyway. It's um, a US right-wing uh, magazine, he, uh, My- Milo Yiannopoulos, and I don't quite know if that's a pronunciation of his name, but considering he sometimes goes on half-truths, I reckon that's, uh, that's fair enough. But he's come out for a tour of Australia, and there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of debate about whether he should have been stopped from entering the country or had his visa revoked. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's an interesting one, because you see it, and you see how, obviously, it sparked some violence, Poor old police are in trouble for not handling it properly. Like, should should we invite this kind of gherkin, I suppose you could call him, in, 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 into the country to spruik his way? Mm. Now, I'm kind of a narrow-minded 65-year-old yeah. <laughs> cynical conservative bastard. Yeah. So would, would I be for it or against it? My own genuine view is that I'd rather people be allowed to say what they think and what they say. Now, I don't probably agree with most of the things he says. I'm, I'm sure I don't. But I reckon it's almost more dangerous if you don't let him speak. Because mm. we're better off, again, my way of looking at it is that if it's wrong, we're better off hearing it, and then that will make us more certain of what's right and wrong. Whereas if you stop the person from coming and you, you ban him, mm. well, then all of a sudden he gets his own headline. There's a reason to be like, oh, they they banned me from coming because I don't want to hear this the truth that I'm going to tell. Yeah. So I'm, and whilst I can I can understand it, particularly in our world where, um, we kind of make hurtful things against the law. I'm not even sure about that sometimes because I reckon if people are hurtful, well, let's know what let's know them for what they are. It's almost the the truth of it all. Mm. That's why I reckon you let let these people and let them speak. And unfortunately, we run the risk of them encouraging some like-minded people to feel as though that's the way the world should be. Yeah. But I think that's a risk worth taking, personally, for, yep. for, for free speech, for that whole thing. And, and free speech means if you're a dickhead, we need to know you're a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, I suppose Give that's Give you a right. chance to say it, and then, well, we know. Yes, that's not right, something else. Free speech and, yeah. and free to challenge yeah, uh, on the so. other side. Yeah. But I, I suppose... Um, well, what, what, what do you what, think? What, what's your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts is, I'm not sure what happened back uh, with, with big note speakers back in the day, but it seems like social media has really uh, divided the left and the right even more. Um, and I think if he's bordering on hate speech, then banning him. I remember there was the example of a... This is a bit different, but there was a pickup artist... Who was going to come? Remember that. Well, yeah. He was coming yeah. into the country. I forget what his name was, 
and he had his visa revoked because some of his videos were basically bordering on or were sexual harassment, um, particularly in Japan. And I thought, obviously, that one was definitely the right decision. But with Milo, he's more of, I suppose, more ideas. And some of them are da- definitely dangerous ideas. Um, but I, I do agree that sometimes you've got to allow someone to speak and then people can make their judgment of him being a moron or... Yeah, I'm a a pretty strong believer in the old sticks and stones thing. Like, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, names actually don't hurt me because I can actually make a decision on what you say rather than what you do. But but there there probably has to be some limits to that, that, I guess. Yeah, I suppose commercial interests and that sort of thing. I don't know who got him over here in the first place, but... uh... There's obviously an audience ima- for it, which is just who that, who that was. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, well. It, that's, that's the person who should be banned. Can we find out who that is? <laughs> Faceless puppets somewhere, exactly. somewhere banned them. Anyway, we're, we're moving on. We've got a, a, an esteemed guest. I always say esteemed guest in the room. It's Angie Green, and Angie's the founder of uh, Stand Up Events. Uh, but I always ask, um, how would you describe what you do and who you are? <laughs> well, firstly, You've only got half an hour. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. But yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of Stand Up Events and CGU Move in May. Um, who I am, or I guess who I consider myself to be, is someone who is really passionate about social justice and equality and inclusion for all people. Um, and I've been, I started Stand Up at the beginning of 2015 and just working as hard as I can to make sport and life a more inclusive space for um, non-hetero and gender diverse people. So it's, it's, again, I'm that narrow-minded old conservative bloke, so I'm sort of later into this (laughs) area. Yeah. I don't know what's taken us so long. I mean, it's it's weird, I reckon. It's weird when you see it now, the progression we've made to realise that all these, everyone's, they're all normal people and it's all okay. Whereas once we were kind of almost driven by this religious belief of um, if you're not this kind of person you, you're not you're not right the bible says this the bible says that and it i just don't know what, why we let that happen for so long when you see particularly i mean the yes vote stuff and all the stuff that's going on you realize that hang on, this is this was just madness i mean some people still believe it but it was just madness what, what took us so long well, I think it's no, really well, I, I mean yeah. That, yeah. no, and the, it, it is a really loaded question because I mean I, I think you know everyone in this room does think it's madness, and you know why is this taking us yeah, so but long? Say so someone like me probably all hasn't yeah. always. I've never been never known much about yeah. it. Yeah, where is it? And you sort of leave it over there. Yeah. without really having to think about. It. Then you meet yeah. quite a few people who are in in that space, and you realise yeah. they're, they're actually. Lovely people, normal yeah, people. They, yeah. just, they do things a little bit differently. What, what took us so long to figure that? Well, I think it's, I think it's mainly based on generations, and um, it's it's historical, it's cultural. So, you know, m- the reason why I got into stand up events is, um, you know, I, I'm 30. I've got two older brothers, and my oldest brother Stephen played AFL for five years. My dad Russell Green is in the Hawthorne Hall of Fame, and my pop. Frank Sedgman won tennis grand slams and and the reason why I bring that up is I was from a very young age exposed to the sporting culture uh, I guess a bit more than the average person and um, I have another brother Brent who's gay and uh, witnessing how differently both Stephen and Brent were treated uh, you know in sport um, specifically male team dominated sport um, 
you know, I think it's one of the most heteronormative and one of the most backward cultures that, that we have. And, you know, still to date, we, we don't have anyone that is comfortable enough being themselves, which I think is really telling. And, you know, a lot of people ask, oh, is one of the reasons you started Stand Up Events is because you, you want someone to publicly come out. Mm. I actually don't care. Um, that that is up to the person or people them themselves but what the issue is and what's really telling is that no one's even rocked up to the Brownlow and you know w- with their partner or rocked up to um, footy functions with their partner or same-sex partner or what have you and that's really telling and what we're trying to do is um, create you know make sporting cultures uh, eradicate the certain language and behaviour that still exists because to date um, I've spoken to 18 football clubs and when I ask them um, whether they still use the words you know that's okay don't be poor fag homo blah blah 100% of hands go up so even though I don't think it's intentional or it's meant to be malicious that's still very much a cultural thing within particularly AFL and I think for anyone to feel safe we have to create safe cultures. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've, I've been in footy for a long time and, yeah. and I've been part of that progression. Um, and people often ask me, are, are there any gay guys playing footy? I say, well, there must be. And I'm, I'm guessing there'd be some. And they say, well, why don't they actually mm. come, come out, to use the terminology? Um, I get the feeling it's because I, I think within the club we would handle it really well. Mm-hmm. I think their mates, their teammates and that, but it wouldn't be a problem, I don't think. Mm. Yeah might be kidding myself a bit I think the problem would be the the enormous interest in them from outside that would make it difficult for them yeah Um, not but may make it difficult for them or more difficult for them but yeah Yeah, I suppose suppose it's different it's the difference between curiosity and just acceptance for who they are well yeah but yeah because the way the way the media runs out it's kind of they want they want to know too much they'll ask too many questions they'll always be What's he doing now, and all that sort of stuff? You get, you almost get that feeling, but I, I honestly believe within the clubs, I don't reckon it would be a, an issue, and I reckon they probably know more about this as a bunch of teammates than than we know, obviously. Yeah, and to be fair, and I'm someone of um, sincere confidence. I, I would obviously never uh, repeat names to absolutely anyone, but I I know that there are current male AFL footballers um, in the system who are gay and and the main kind of reasons that come up are one, exactly what you just touched on, media, um, that there's a potential for it to turn into a circus and it just should not be that. It shouldn't be... I I get that feeling. Yeah, it shouldn't even be in the newspaper, do you know what I mean? Um, And then also, you know, but we also can't forget that, you know, some of these players also may belong to families that haven't even accepted it. Oh, I think that's, so, yeah, yeah. that's so true. Yeah. But the thing that inspires me to think that it's going to happen sooner rather than later is is the women's footy, the, the, how wonderful the women's footy's been and how totally accepted sexuality is within the women's footy game. I mean, and that the beautiful night when Erin Phillips and her mm. wife embraced and you're all going to come. Yeah. Oh, this, this is beautiful. It was just, and again, I'm that 65-year-old conservative. Right? So <laughs> yeah, so that's I, 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 well, no, but, I, but I'm saying yeah, well, yeah, I'm yeah. not coming from the place of you know being up with it like you guys are. Mm. Um, but I thought that was marvellous, and, and that I think that will be that will make this happen sooner rather than later because it's it's 
much more normalised, if you like. I, I'm hoping, I'm thinking. I really hope so as well. And this may this may shock you, um, but what's been really and I before the AFLW uh, you know got launched and what have you, I was really really excited for that being one of the reasons as well. Just you know blank slate like coming exactly who you know be exactly who you are be authentic and what have you and it was quite alarming to learn quite quickly that there there have been actually some girls within the AFLW who have been told not to disclose their sexuality due to certain reasons marketing sponsorship what have you yeah and yeah yeah which and like to me it that seems like the most the most absurd thing ever um but it's but it was also and is to an extent also still happening in aflw so i I, what i fear and this is just a personal thing i fear that if certain people had been told that um as women from a very accepting and embracing culture i i i can't imagine what maybe some of the men are being told as well yeah so with, with your father, was he similar to Neil in the 65-year-old uh, uh, conservative way with your brother coming out or was he quite open and... Not that you wouldn't be no, quite no, open yeah. accepting <laughs> of it, but... He was, uh, he was amazing. So I, I really love Dad's honesty. Um, you know, Dad grew up in Frankston. Back in the day, you started AFL or VFL or what have you at the age of 16. Um, you know, he played over... He played around in four games and um, he's homophobic terminology was absolutely prevalent um just the same words like fag poof you know tranny dyke you know whatever it may be um and when Brent came out to me two three years before anyone else I was 13 at the time and um the rest of the family didn't know and then after his VCE exams he came out to dad and dad just started bawling and Brent then started apologising, which was a horrible thing to hear, saying, Dad, I'm sorry, this is, you know, this is why I didn't want to tell you, look how upset you are. And Dad turned around and said, Brent, I'm not crying because you're gay, I'm crying because I didn't know this, I, I didn't know or I didn't know how to handle it and, and I'm really sorry. And um, in that moment, Dad speaks about this really openly, that he was showered with um, a lot of, remorse and guilt because he has openly said that his biggest regret in football is not and in life is not knowing how many people he would have potentially hurt unintentionally because of his yeah his his language and 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 behavior yeah absolutely and so um we're we're all part of that yeah there's no doubt Mm. yeah yeah so he does whatever he possibly can um like we stand up events and also other footy clubs and he's a school teacher and also, marriage equality, he was really proactive with um, that as well. And how important, I suppose, we talk about language and how early it starts with, you know, you get young boys in the playground yeah. using uh, language like that, but how important is it to, uh, I suppose, encourage the use of, um, or discourage the use yeah. of that sort of language from, you know, as early as five or six? I think it's one of the biggest non-negotiables, like in absolute zero tolerance. Um I know that this sounds absolutely sickening, but ima- you know, like imagine if we heard one of our children call another kid on the playground and 
Abor or Nigga. Like you, you, I can imagine you would just absolutely shudder. And to me, there's absolutely no difference between homophobia and racism. The only difference is that you can hide your sexuality. So mm. when those words are being thrown out really flippantly, um, like I remember, I think Brent told me that he remembers being called a faggot maybe in year, you know, like th- three or, you know, like eight years old kind yeah. of thing. And, um, and Brent knew he was gay for forever um and you know even the kind of um inclusive language of you know he'd come home from school and all our neighbors you know would be like oh do you have a girlfriend do you have a girlfriend and from that very young age he was like what I'm feeling is wrong like I'm wrong because of that like I'm meant to like girls I'm meant to do this and that and you know it's just it's it's just the smallest things but especially that kind of derogatory language like it like it it I, I can't um yeah I can't emphasise the, the type of scarring that it, it has on certain people. So a question for both of you. Um, I suppose, how has the definition of uh, equality changed in your lifetime, Neil, and for you, Angie, from a young age? Oh, I think uh, we imagined we had equality of opportunity and that was about it because it was not really equality in terms of uh, racism and sexuality etc way back when I was a kid I mean there wasn't it wasn't even contemplated as a good idea almost mm. oh yeah well and I think even now like the the, the attitude towards the plebiscite etc is similar to what it was towards racism say 30 or 40 mm. years ago yeah. like it's a oh we're all just coming around to saying this is actually not a bad idea this is okay um it's quite, it is amazing. That, that was the why I asked that question earlier. What, like, what's taken us so long to figure this out? And so much of it is just your own sense of yourself and selfishness. You know, what, what I am is this is the perfect being. If I'm white and heterosexual and from Australia, this is what you need to be. Everyone else, oh, there's no good. It was very, we were very um, xenophobic in a lot of ways. Mm. And, and probably you understand why. We're small communities. There wasn't a lot of uh, communication. Didn't fly anywhere. And now you can communicate with the rest of the world at the flick of a switch. So mm. that, that's what's probably opened the world up to all of us and said, okay, well, racism is no good. Yeah. Is that you sure it's no good? Yeah, it's no good. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's the same mm. as this, you know. Um, sec- the sexuality thing is, well... We accept it, whatever we want to be normal to be normal. It doesn't have to be just for procreation or, you know, all those crazy ideas we've had. Um, and that's saying probably having a go at a lot of religious sex and people, mm. but yeah, that's like they were just making up rules to, to suit themselves in a way, and it's not not necessary. So I mean, I'm lucky as I've got older, I've been able to see all this, but um, and I'm, I'm pleased that I've got the kind of the openness of mind to. to to be able to now be the right kind of thinker rather than what we probably were back in the old days. And I think in fairness, like to take it to a another level is like we, for a long time and even still today with what, you know, what we've just seen with um, the humiliating marriage equality debate is I don't think we've ever had really strong leaders who actually make decisions. And I think that goes, you know, with our sporting codes um, all the way to our politicians, like no one to me has ever kind of had the guts to really back 
diversity like we're only just kind of starting to see women in the AFL you know we just have a leader who himself says that he's always believed in marriage equality but he thought it was fair to have this really toxic public debate I I think but 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 to be fair to, to be fair to him that's the political nature of his life because I reckon if, if you say, take the politics out of it, you don't have to satisfy your right-wing members <laughs> yeah. of the Liberal Party. Mm. He would have just said, this this is reasonable, and this is right, and let's just do it. Which I'm not forgiving anyone for mm. that. But that, unfortunately, from that comes, that, as you said, that the, the debate, which you know, 90, 50% of it's good, but 50% of it was, as you said, toxic, mm. because mm. it was horrible. Mm. But fortunately, the outcome has been what we needed it to be. Well, it has, it's not quite yet, but I think it's going to be that. Or you don't think so? Nearly, no, I, I, yeah. I, I do. I just, I just would like it. To you didn't like the paint, the other paint. Yeah, I, I, you know, I understand that. Yeah. What a lot of people don't know is, you know, um, like this is another big part of my story. Like before the age of 23, I'd lost three friends to suicide and I'm only 30 and I lost another friend last year. And um, men, the stats surrounding it is, you know, men are twice as likely than women to take their own lives. And then you put the LGBT. ITQ plus um, community into the equation, they're four to five times more likely to take their own lives. And you you can understand why, with all the challenges that they've got, and and it's just not made easy for them. Yeah, Yeah. and 14% higher attempt suicide rates, with 50% of the Australian trans community will attempt suicide at least once in their lives. And in this debate, that attempted suicide rate went up 3,500, and the lifelines were increased by 60%. So... Mm. It, it really yeah, it was did, a pa- painful exercise. Yeah, it really did cause a lot of... But, but then, then a certain percentage of the people say, well, that's fair enough to... <laughs> Isn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's, that's their argument. Well, that's because it's all no good. Mm, yeah, Which that is, is their argument. Hard, <laughs> well, no, but it's very no, hard to defeat right. it. Yeah, it, that's, it, it no, lives. It, um, sadly, it lives. Yeah, of course. So what was the impact? I know you work closely with the community. The impact of the, the yes vote going through for... Yeah, for you and yeah. for the whole, for the entire community, I suppose. I just, well, I, you know, I was at um, State Library with the entire immediate family, so my mum and dad and my two brothers, and I don't know if, it was, if this will sound silly to anyone else, but Wednesday the 15th was li- literally the best day of my life. I've never, ever felt emotion like that. I've never seen so much joy, relief and happiness all at once, um, you know, strangers embracing, people absolutely breaking down, um, you know, and we're just speaking about the most basic human right of, you know, mm. marriage equality and hearing how much it meant to so many people was just, um, yeah, one of, it's just one a of de- the most special Decency to ever. each other, isn't it? It's like I remember, yeah. I still remember vividly the Berlin Wall coming down. And I remember feeling so wonderful about it. I'd never been to Berlin. I had no idea. Yeah. But you just know. No, you just know yeah. that this is a this is a step in the right direction. This is people actually treating each other fairly and properly. And that's the same. I felt the same yeah. with the yes vote. And yeah. I got no great commitment to it apart from having an interest. Yeah. And I, I was moved so much by it as yeah. well. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was a great feeling. Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah. Magic. It was incredible. But what's the feeling about knowing that? Thirty-eight uh, percent of the population are still so staunchly voting no. Uh, where, where does that place yeah. Australia? But you've yeah. got to know some of them are committed religious people, which which is a, 
it makes they're not kind of the no voters that I'm. They kind of got to vote no because. Yeah, but but we're also not asking for religious freedom. Where all all that we're asking for was civil law. But I I, I do I do know what you mean in terms of. I know what what you mean, but I'm saying, but some of them that like when the good example was Israel Folau, who I don't think anyone would think wasn't a really decent young man. He said, well, I'm, I, I can't vote yes, I've got to vote no, because that, religiously but, that's what I believe. But how, how does he come but, to believe that? I mean, I do, like, He doesn't believe it, he has to, because he's part of the church. He's part of the church, but surely there's some common sense there. Like, uh, there's not a lot of common sense in <laughs> the churches, I don't reckon. Uh, that, that, which, is, which is a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I think there was a certain pool of um, significantly highly religious people, but there was also a significant pool of people who really are homophobic. Um, And so I guess in answer to your question, it is, you know, like I'm an, I guess, an optimist and to, you know, it it was incredible to get the 61% and and what have you for our country. Um, But I'm also a realist as well. And when I speak to, you know, some of my um, friends who are in same-sex relationships and and what have you and have families and, uh, you know, we might be at a restaurant and they bring up the 38% being like, you know what, like you try not think about this, but in this room say there's Mm. 100 people, which... Yes, which are they 39? You, yeah, which 30 you. have they won't said, be in, you know, they, like... They won't right. be in the room. Yeah, yeah, no, you know. somewhere else. Oh, they won't be in any of my parties. Yeah, yeah. But they probably won't be in the room. They yeah, are somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, but... You've got to believe they're somewhere else. But it's really interesting on that as well. Like, I, you know, I've got... One of my cousins lives in... Uh, works in Brighton, sorry, as a, as a makeup artist. And you would think, you know... Brighton Church Street, yeah, you know, yeah. they're all, you know, whatever, like knowledgeable, <laughs> smart, well educated, or, yeah, yeah, well educated, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And there was a woman who, bla- she, she's a makeup artist, and there was a woman who blatantly said, because during this time, and, you know, said, I just, oh, I would, I, I would feel sick if my son was gay or if yeah. my daughter was, you know, and, you know, I don't want any of that in my house and what have you. And Paul Louise, my cousin, was just like, I know, sorry, I know, ma'am, I know that I'm at work, but you need to know that one of my, you know, my cousins and friends or whatever you get, and I, I actually can't hear that kind of chat. And then yeah. the poor thing had to continue painting her face for, you know, the other half. But it's so, so just, you know, like it, it is very, it's very but you interesting. Also, and again, I'm that old bloke, but yeah. don't you feel so sad for those people? I, I do That's... only because, aside from everything yeah. else, it's not going away, you no, know, that's like right, that's right, natural, that's normal true. people are not going away. So the thing is like <laughs> to hate something that is going to be so inevitable and only if you were to accept it only breeds happiness and love like that. That's it. And no more hate and fear like it. It's just it, to me, it's also illogical. Like, why would you continue being so fearful and hateful of something that is always going to be a part of? Of life and should be, and mm. that's it. Yeah, but, but, but it's interesting the change over the years. Like even when I was a kid, there was a, there was a relative denial of sexuality, like mm, yeah. actual, like any sexuality. Yeah, like it, you know, in a way, was driven by the religious or the churchy. It's like the counterculture of the sixties, you know, Yeah, and like yeah. all of a sudden, you know, free love in the sixties and seventies, and the attitude changes to a degree. So it's. I, I, I guess we've got to let the passage of time 
take its way and the generation change is that in 20 years time 40 years time maybe we will forget how ridiculous well it'll be like you hope like interracial marriage so yeah yeah like we laugh at that now but that was you know up for debate and yeah so mm. i mean there was a loving v loving and there was a film made about that with um Oh, who's the Australian actor? Oh, I know um, what you... Um, yeah, and it was 60s Alabama, basically no interracial couples could live under the same roof. Breaking into their house, jail. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. But guess, I suppose... who, guess who's coming to dinner? That was about that. That was an old... <laughs> really? Yeah, it was a Sydney Potier and someone else. Yeah. In, <laughs> oh, it was well, in relations. It was seen as, oh, this is unusual. Angie, does it come to education or is it empathy or compassion or learning? How, how, how do we... You know, change at least five or ten percent of that no vote to. I think it's um, I think it's continuous and constant and consistent awareness. So, you know, for example, not even just a, a small example would be not only not saying those words. You know, like we all know the colourful words that that get thrown around. But, mm. and I actually think this is a bit harder. But I actually see. I see walking past that language and behaviour the same as condoning it. So I think I think that individuals, we've got to stop waiting for the one big thing to happen. Like now we've achieved marriage equality, but it hasn't eradicated homophobia and biphobia and transphobia. Like that still, it still exists. So for me, it's like, you know, every time, and it, it is hard and it can get exhausting, but like every time I hear, you know, someone at the footy or in the pub or whatever say, oh, these effing faggots or whatever, mm. I will say, oh, excuse me, can can you please not use that language? I, I just need you to know how hurtful it can be. And not getting angry, I don't think anger gets anywhere, but, you know, every time I've done that um, and my friends and family have done that, it's either sparked a conversation or, mm. like, a bit of embarrassment in, mm. in the next, in the lap saying, in the person saying, I'm so sorry, I actually didn't mean that. And you kind of just hope that the more people do mm. that, um, the more we stamp it out. Actually, not to toot my own... Uh, horn, but I was playing footy uh, a few years ago, and I was uh, this for some reason there was a guy on the other team who really did not like me. And every game he, he called me a faggot, and yeah. he just called me all like some shocking things. First time I took it, and I was like, oh, that's, "You're a fucking dickhead!" Yada yada yada. Yeah. Next time I was a runner. I was just running around, running water, you know, <laughs> having a laugh, like I had a calf injury, and he goes to me, "Oh, yeah, yeah. faggot." And I went, okay, like my blood started boiling and yeah. I ran off and told our president that. And he actually, uh, about a week later, he called me going, I'm so sorry and so sorry. And he's embarrassed about it. Probably yeah. a similar thing to actually pulling him up for it rather than he would have kept going and I'm sure he's done in other games. Yeah, totally. Mm. I think, And I think that that small gesture actually makes a, a really profound impact on someone. If I got pulled up for something that I was oblivious to, I would hope that I would feel... Not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that people should feel ashamed or whatever, but I would definitely learn from that and be yeah, like, oh my God, I'm never going to say... Impact, the impact that, that it has. Yeah. 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 Hell, yeah. yeah. Um, I, want, I wanted to ask about mental health. Yeah. Um, I suppose, how do we encourage uh, open discourse, understanding uh, for men and women with uh, mental disorders without being patronising mm. or without ostracising them? Um, and why don't we teach uh, young people that their minds are just in, as important as their body or so mm. interconnected with their body? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. I, I wish that I was, you know, I, I was really lucky that I grew up in a, fa- in a family unit that was, um, you know, my parents always told me that um, 
I'm no less than anyone else. I'm no better than anyone else. If if anything was, you know, hurting me or affecting me, that I could come and speak to them. Like it was a very open household, and the, and they said the same to um, my brothers as well. But I can't remember at anything at school, um, you know, where we spoke about mental health, kind of ever. Like even in even yeah. in senior school, um, <laughs> and you know, and I, and I, I went to. Melbourne Girls Grammar, which is a you know known as like a pretty good school, and it like and I've spoken about this with my friends as well from state schools, private schools, doesn't matter. No one my like I'm thirty. No one at school kind of got taught that it was okay yeah. to to speak up or that there there are these resources or facilities, um, you know, uh, welcome to you. Um, and I, I really do think again that everything kind of starts with conversations and your family and friends. Like if you have, like I always say to my niece and nephew who are ten and seven, I'm just like if there's, you know, and not like sitting them down and pointing <laughs> fingers, but you know, yeah. I'm always like you. I just, you know, I love you so. Like when I say goodbye to them, I love you so much, and just know if you know if there's anything you ever want to speak to me about, like you can, and you know, and I've also. I'm really not into the whole gender game as well when, you know, like boys aren't allowed to cry and girls can cry until their heart's <laughs> content and that's why we all grow up being psychos and, you know, what, like what have you, um, stereotypically. Um, but it's like, you know, just it's, it's always just creating safe spaces for, for people and asking, asking the questions so they know that if they would ever open up, they know that they, they have a safe person and a trustworthy speak, person to speak to. Some of it's that kind of the older fashioned expectation of high performance mm-hmm. like you just don't allow anything to get in the way and you've got to perform well and, and if you don't what, what's wrong with you kind of thing and, and a required stoicism around that mm-hmm. and I think but I say I look at that say there's so much more um, you know mental health issues well we're just are we just recognising or whether they happened before I reckon they happened before and we just denied them Mm. Yeah, and because oh, there's, there was really no way. Of, well, what am I going to do? Will I get better? Or will I, you know, I'll be okay or whatever. Whereas now we're much more reasonable about it. But but I think we once we used to think if if you didn't keep the pressure on people, they won't be as good as they can be. Mm. I think now we know that making them feel well, happy with themselves, having a go, they're going to perform better than just keeping that performance pressure on them. I think that's been a, a good change in our sort of parenting as much as anything else, I think. As you say, Angie, I mean, it's only relatively recently that it has become more of like at school where you're going to aim for the highest score and do all this, and now it's sort of like, well, just remember you're going to take a bit of time to figure yourself out and figure out what type of person you are. Yeah. And it might take someone a lot longer than another person, um, but at least they're being told that. Oh, I, I remember being on the tram with, you know, like... Yeah, girls from my school, guys from Melbourne Grammar, Scott, Xavier, all that kind of, And I was just like, with the type of, you know, this, this was just my personal experience, the kind of conversation that we had and the, the kind of condition pressure that was on some of my friends was just relentless. And, you know, we're 16, 17, 18-year-old kids and I just... I couldn't think of anything worse, and I, I'm lucky that I think I copped that from my school, but definitely not my my family unit. Mm. I want to ask about uh, the transgendered uh, footballer in the AFL uh, Hannah? W Hannah Mouncey. Yeah. Um, 
I suppose, how do we remove the murkiness around the qualification for a transgendered footballer? Um, I mean, it's a discriminatory, a discriminatory policy, but is it fair? What are your thoughts on that? No, it's not fair. <laughs> and also, I think the way that was handled was just mm. horrific. Hannah had been told I think all they were year. Just scared. They were just scared. Weren't they? they were scared. They thought, oh, what if she's too good? Or what? 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 It seems as though they were worried about all of that. Well, she's she's been pointless. eligible um, yeah. by Olympic standards, and you know she was told all year that she would be eligible for the draft and then literally the day before the rug got pulled from under her. And even the committee, you know, came out and said a lot of it had to do with her, you know, intimidating size and physicalities. And it's like, are you telling me that if Liz Cambridge wanted to, you know, go into the AFLW that too you big, would you would deny her? Mm. No way. And it's just, it was the most... Uh, I, short, just short-sighted. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favourite sayings is that consistency breeds safety. And it's like you can't, you know, the AFL can't come out and say, yes, equality and like, you know, yes, AFLW, we're doing all this stuff. And then out of what I believe was sheer fear and yeah. not knowing how to deal with it, just went, oh, no, like we're not ready for this. And if you look at, you know, um, there's a group, there's an amazing group called Proud to Play who do so much surrounding transgender policies, specifically in sport. And you look at a lot of the codes and it was a reaction, like there wasn't anything kind of even in place. So it's like, well, that's got to change. So in the future, no one has to go through what Hannah did. And I just need to say that Hannah... I don't know how I would deal with that. She dealt with that with so much grace and dignity, and she, she's incredible. She's absolutely incredible. Much say I watched the sixty minutes um, segment with her, um, and I th- I hadn't I, I really hadn't uh, taken in any great interest. I watched mm. that and I thought it was a fantastic interview. Mm. I'm not a big sixty minutes watcher, um, but yeah, that was. I mean, it, mm. that sort of stuff is, is the thing we need, I suppose, to actually so that, educate yourself, to, you know... Again, it's more we, awareness yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. We, we need the, the, the AFL, whoever it is, whoever's running it, just needs to take the risk. Don't worry about it. You know, like, the risk is that... So what if she plays well? Like, you've just got to let those things happen. We can't dive into all this and then all of a sudden, oh, no, 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 this is all too hard. It's, it's, it's madness. Especially when the story was what it was, yeah, you know, the whole time, oh, you're eligible, you're, el- you're eligible. Like, that would just, you know, and for me, one of my biggest things is that every single person in this world deserves a place in mm. this world. And when you've been told that you will have a place and then, no, you don't, like, where, where for some people, where does that leave you? And that that is absolutely not okay yeah. to me. So what we were talking about earlier... Um, how do you expose people to different opinion if they're basically trying to avoid it? Because you look on social media, you get yeah. both sides. And yeah. I mean, this is one of my big gripes, but how do you expose <laughs> for people actively ducking their head? Yeah. Look, <laughs> is it just a normalisation or is it a... Look, it's, it's hard. The re- again, the reality is um, there, are, you know, there are people on the spectrums in every area of life. There's, there are people who are hardcore on both levels so like yes 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 and no 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 you you know that most likely you're not going to get to the nose yeah. like you yeah. you just it's you it's you're not going to happen motors, right? yeah 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 <laughs> so the the biggest thing that we try and do is like at least you know and especially personally i don't get angry 
at anyone. Your opinion is your opinion, but can we at least have a conversation about yeah. it? And if something comes out of that at the very end, great. If not, you just hope that along the way, you know, certain yeah. kind of lessons come in where you are made more aware of certain situations. It is really like it is really difficult because you can't you can't force anyone to think or feel anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, like at the very least, just trying to continually make people again like aware of how important equality and inclusion is in in across the board, like not just sexuality and or gender, but all human rights. Um, I think we I think every individual has the responsibility to do that. So how do you stay so positive, you know, with everything going Oh, no, going no, no. <laughs> I have severe meltdowns. Right, um, right. No, I, you know, that's what people say, like my friends and family say to me, oh, you know, oh, you, on social media, you look so happy and, you know, you look like you, you're having a great time. And I'm like, yeah, I don't put photos of me shaking in the shower yeah, or like yeah, me yeah, bawling yeah. my eyes out to Sam, my yeah. boyfriend or what have you. But, you know, for but in all honesty, like, I, yeah, there are moments that are wonderful and I absolutely have breakdowns, 100%. Um, Or or times where I'm much more vulnerable than I would like to be. Um, But how I deal with it is, um, you know, because there's been some really hard moments like getting hate mail and there's been twice where, because we run at times like, pretty big events and I've had death threats and what have you. So it's like that, that, that stuff's pretty confronting. Yeah. Um, but when I have my more vulnerable times, um, the reality is I'm a, I'm a straight woman, um, that's having a bit of a moment, but there are members within the LGBTI community who cop this on a daily basis. And I think of my friends who are no longer here. I think of my friends who, um, really struggle still every day in their late 30s and what have you and then my own insecurities and vulnerabilities yeah. are very quick to be like <laughs> let's just you know have some perspective here so um, and I'm incredibly passionate about it so I can't dim that down so that just continues to those people actually make me more passionate I'm like the more hate I get I'm like yeah like so they actually I guess in a silver lining way help me out so is it a lifelong uh, journey for you? Uh, oh, it's, <laughs> it's really funny because people said to... Because we, we stand up events. So our main goal is um, we've just partnered with Monash University to oh, yeah. create programs um, and implement them into... Uh, we, we say junior codes, but the ages are between 16 and 20 um, to, again, like eradicate that t- type of language and behaviour and... Um, you know, I hope those programs go for as long as they need to. But someone said, you know, what do you see for stand-up events in 20 years' time? And if it's needed, I will 100% do do it. But I, I hope that yeah. this is still not something that we have to fight for every single day because co- sporting cultures are inclusive and they are equal and everyone can be exactly who they are. I think we have to believe that, don't we? Mm. Oh, like I have to. Yeah, yeah. So you know, but but personally, like this is where it's hard because my personal passion is now just externalized. So I, I, like I will always be like this, but I really hope that um you know there's not a need for these it types of programs. Full, yeah, full time programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a question for mm. both of you actually. Uh, I was reading. Uh, 
with the spate of uh, sexual harassment cases in Hollywood and closer to home with Don Burke, um, I was reading this piece from the from France's Secretary for Gender Equality, um, Marlene Schipper, and she wants to criminalise sexual harassment uh, in public places. Um, how do we provide more protection for girls and women, you know, walking to and fro? And uh, is there any, any way to, to do this that, that will avoid the isn't inevitable... That all, isn't that already criminalised? What does she mean by that? Well, I, I suppose in terms of, you know, being chased down the street and just being given an immediate oh, on-the-spot okay. fine for men who are found to a... Whistling to a, or something. Wolf whistles. More, more than whistling. This is, you know, following them and stalking them. Yeah. I suppose there's also the, the inevitable backlash that comes with mm. um, men being think they're being targeted. But how do you? Mm. I suppose. I suppose how do you improve relations between uh, men and women? Yeah, is <laughs> um, a, a really light-hearted <laughs> combo. Yeah. Um, look, I I think this is a dynamite, massive mm. issue. Yeah. Um, you know, and I can say as being a a female, what I thought growing up at certain times was acceptable. And then as I've grown up, I'm like, oh, holy shit, that was probably not okay. Or, yeah. you know, certain certain things like that. Um, But, you know, again, like it's, it, there's, I don't know how you do it, to be honest. Um, yeah. But there's got to be, there's got to be education in kind of every single area of our life that, and not, you know, like men can't treat women like this and women can't treat men like this, you know, like there's, I think there's often some cases of having a double standard or, you know, feminists are kind of like, no, women are better than men. And it's like, no, like we're just all, like we're all equal. And yeah, it's more likely to be men who are worse behaved. Totally, totally. Cause there is that kind of like intimidating, like kind of, you know, at times physical presence of, Macho rubbish. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, this has to be taught from a young age. Yeah, the ground up, really, Yeah, like grassroots. Yeah. 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 Do you think legislation will help or... Do we just send all the young men from 18 to 25 (laughs) off to the war or something? (laughs) Is that that the answer? Well, yeah. Okay, thanks. Well, I'm out of that age bracket now. I realise that. That's why I said it. That's good. Well, it's... Because there does... I don't know what it is, but they're... there does have to be something done where it's more publicly spoken about. Because, like, at the moment, we are speaking a lot about this, you know, in media. So radios, we're seeing it on our TVs, in our newspapers and what have you. But, you know, like, it's not like you see it on the street, like a guy goes, oh, if I'm going to do this, I'll probably get away with it. So yeah. I don't know whether it is, like, a parking fine situation where it's <laughs> like, if this gets done, like... But then again, I don't... I don't I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just don't know how you would monitor how how would you police that and unless you witness it did it you know it's very yeah i suppose australia's already got the reputation for being a a nanny state already hasn't it yeah it's it's, i don't know the answer and it probably comes back to what you said with actually calling out what it is for what it is yeah Uh, similar thing with use of language yeah um there is a certain amount of responsibility on the the regular normal citizen I suppose yeah um, just a lot a lot more of a light-hearted question but who inspires you most be it be they in your life or say a, you know someone a writer or a oh, musician or um I'm obsessed with Queen B uh, yeah, Beyonce yeah, yeah. is yeah. like she I gives me life <laughs> um oh but in all honesty I'd, I would probably um 
say either my grandparents, so Frank and Jean, or my dad, and mainly my dad because um, I love people that can be brutally honest about their flaws and mistakes and mishaps and what have you, but continue to to grow and right wrongs, if you will. I think that's one of the most commendable kind of uh, characteristics of someone for me. Mm. Um, but I actually, someone asked me that the other day and I said, I've got reverse role models. So like people who I would never want to be like. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so there are not people, at the dinner table. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there are people who are like, you know, I see who are kind of maybe perceived as leaders and I'm like, I, I would, no, thank you. Like yeah. I wouldn't want to be anything like that. So I, I try and be the opposite of everything that I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> actually, Neil, I want to know who inspires you most. You can say me, but just, no, no. But seriously, like I've, I actually have never. Well, funny, I'm I'm kind of weird like that. I, I I'm not. I don't That's find. True, you don't, yeah. I, I find a lot of people do good things and they inspire me, but I, I don't sort of personalise it much. I don't have a person I go well. I want to be like her or him, or they inspire me. No, yeah. I don't know. You've asked me a bad question. <laughs> I'll come back to you. But next episode. But people, That's right. People who do good things. Yes. Me. People yes. do bad things I hate. Now, yeah. I'll probably really, come up with some names, but. It's kind of the small things. I, I kind of get shudders and sometimes occasionally get a tear just from the most, the simplest thing you can see, the simplest thing you could hear. And I think um, Michael um, Lunig's really good at that. Sometimes you look at his cartoons and it's just like a, a really small thing about life and you go, ah, and just yeah, clicks. Well, and that, that's that. the sorts of things that inspire me as well. You, mm. I often talked about. Um, uh, Flanagan's book. Oh, yeah. The, the Narrow Road narrow, to the Deep, narrow road of the deep oh. book. And the way they... Um, <laughs> the way leadership was described in that. It was, it was kind of about um, Weary Dunlop in a sense, but the person wasn't a perfect person, didn't do everything right, but when the time came, the mm. leadership was extraordinary. So those sorts of things inspire me. You see that and you go, well... That's what I want to be like. I don't need to be perfect every second of the day, but when, when it counts, when it, when it counts yeah, I want yeah. to be able to make the right decision and sacrifice whatever I do. So it's that sort of stuff. And, and even the other day, seeing, is it Tim Minchin's thing when he did it at the oh, yeah. University of WA? Some of the things he said, oh, that, I said, you know, they, they are quite inspiring. Yeah. yeah. You know, every, now, every now and again, something will come through like that. Now, Angie, I ask uh, six or five or six questions at the end of every show. I've, I really get excited with these questions, so I've added a couple more. But no, they're, they're, they're simple life questions, I suppose. Um, uh, I'm calling them a pile of weird fishes because Radiohead are one of my favourite uh, artists, and I like naming things. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Not relevant. Yeah. Okay. Um, so first question. We can um, cut that out later. No, no. Okay, fair enough. Sorry, Tom York. Um, uh, what do you fear? Hatred. What do you hope for? Equality. <laughs> what makes you happy? F- Definitely friends and family. Yeah. What makes you sad? Injustice. <laughs> uh, what album or book would best accompany your life story? <laughs> oh, probably... Lord of the Rings. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, the entire trilogy. Just all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what, what was that question? Uh, what, <laughs> what album or book 
best uh, would best accompany your life story, but oh, so you're okay. always walking towards. That's home. outrageous. Yeah. Um, sorry, I did not. That is just. Oh my god. Um. Yeah. So like, I'm just like, oh. Okay. Uh. No, I would say. Oh my god. Um. This might sound really bizarre, and I think I interpret things a lot differently. But one of the Albert, one of the bands, I should say, that I feel most at home at for a number of reasons would be Led Zeppelin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wouldn't have picked that. Whole lot of love. Oh, my God. What's your favourite Led Zeppelin song? Battle of Evermore. Okay. There you go. Um, and I thought... <laughs> this is actually a, a new question. You know what? I'm just going to go with this one. I, I like this question. But favourite... What's your, what's your, your ideal Sunday morning? Um, not hungover, yeah. but that doesn't happen often. <laughs> um, so ideal would be sleeping in uninterrupted. Uh, no, sleeping in probably till about like 9, 30, 10, going for a walk with Henry, my lad, oh, and then yeah. probably having like a slightly boozy lunch with some of my favourite people and getting to bed early, tipsy early. That's great. That <laughs> would that be my favourite Sunday. That's not just a Sunday morning. That's no, a that, Sunday. that's a Sunday. That's a Sunday. Maybe the Did question. Did you say Sunday morning? I'm not even listening to your questions. No, Sunday, I'm so no, no, sorry. Sunday, Sunday is definitely a good uh, answer. A Sunday is like said, an elongated morning anyway. I've already Especially said the reflection of my life is Lord of the Rings, so I already said like <laughs> yeah. an absolute knob. Not at all. Oh. Not at all. Angie, thank you so much for coming <laughs> in and chatting so with us. It's It's been fantastic. Um, actually, just before that, I like to recommend an album now, but uh, Bruno Major's uh, album, debut album, not Bruno Mars, Bruno Major. Anyway, thank you, Angie, <laughs> thank so you. much for coming in. And I mean, the plebiscite, the yes vote going through, hopefully it all goes swimmingly through the lower house. No uh, Tony to Abbott so. interjections. and Nothing to do. Yeah, we no. should hopefully know by Thursday <laughs> and then it's just got to be signed off by the Governor General and hopefully he does that quickly. Fantastic. That's yeah. great. Thank and you for having me. No worries. And yeah, Neil, thanks, as always, thank you. thank you for coming in and being the 65-year-old conservative <laughs> old man. Oh, I'm not really, but <laughs> that's my background. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Hi, it's Will here from Generation Balm. Neil and I are so thankful for anyone who's listened, shared, or subscribed so far. We've got so many great guests uh, to come and so many great discussions to be had. So please share with your friends, keep listening, and we'll see you soon on Generation Balm. Actually, scratch that. Um, You won't be seeing us, but you will be listening to us. So please keep tuning in.